Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Last Journey podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about a fun subject. Um, These are going to be some of my biggest employee mistakes that I have made over the last nine years and how I look at them now. So I get asked these questions a lot, Um, not necessarily what mistakes I've made, but, you know, just working with a lot of salon owners in general or people who have employees. um, These are a lot of the things that come up, and I just want to let you know that I have definitely been there with you and learn from them. And now what I like to do is try to help you not make the same mistakes I did. Or at least if you do now, my voice is going to be playing in the back of your head, just letting you know that this is how I handled it um, or how I would handle it now. Okay. So ready. The first big mistake that I ever made was hiring out of desperation. So what this looks like If you are at a place, and this is so many business owners come to me like this, they are, you know, 90, 95, like percent booked, right? Like the number of uh, available hours they have, they are either working to the max, they're barely getting a chance to eat. Um, They are sometimes even working over 40 hours and squeezing people in because they're afraid to say no. If this sounds like you and you are thinking in the back of your head, oh my gosh, like this is me, I need to hire somebody, that space right there is where it can get a little bit tricky because then you start looking and hiring based from a place of desperation in that you know you need somebody, you need someone now. Sometimes you're gonna latch on to the first person that comes to you and um, you know they might seem like this shiny new package. You may have one you know, great conversation with them, but because of the fact that you're looking at them through rose-colored glasses, you're also missing a lot of the things that might not be great qualities about them when it comes to being an employee. Um, Or maybe you rush through the interview process and you hire them right away and you bring them on because you're just really looking forward to not having to take as many clients. And in that process, you end up kind of skipping over some of the really important facts that you need to really ask these employees to vet them and make sure that they're going to be good for your culture and to make sure that they're going to work well with you and, um, and with your clients too. So the best way that I like to try to combat this now is to make sure that I am always watching my book utilization for the studio. So what that looks like is I will look at you know, each individual artist, I'll track every month to see how booked they are as a percentage. Um, again, the number of hours they have available to work. So if they're working, you know, nine to five, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all of those open hours versus how many hours they're actually booked one-on-one with paying clients. That percentage is what you want to look at when it comes to hiring a new employee. So let's say, you know, you have three employees and overall your studio is you know, rocking at about like 70, 75% utilized. There, I would tell you, it's not necessarily time to hire yet, but I want you to pay attention to that number because as it creeps from 75, getting closer to 80%, that's when you want to start thinking about opening up your books for hiring, um, 
I like to, or something we recently did was actually we keep um, just a blank application form for estheticians or lash artists that we can continually get in those um, applicants. If they're looking at our page and wondering if we're hiring, it just helps, um, it helps us to have like a continuous stream of people who are applying. That way, when we do get to that point, and when I do notice those numbers are getting closer to the 80% mark, I have a, um, you know, a little file of people that we can kind of look through. I can call them for an interview. And as we know in this industry with certain things, it's a lot easier and quicker to teach them, you know, coming fresh out of school. But sometimes we have to teach somebody how to do lashes from the very beginning. If you don't live in a busy area, um, you know, unfortunately in Delaware, we don't, we have anybody who's already kind of used to doing lashes on their own or they're probably working for themselves or working for another space already. There's not a huge abundance of lash artists. So a lot of times when I bring somebody on, I have to factor in the time that it's going to take to actually train them as well, which can take anywhere from, you know, four to six months to really get them going and getting them working well. So that's why I say pay attention to that number and don't ever let it creep over that 80% mark where now all of a sudden, you know, holidays hit and you guys are at 90% booked and you have nobody who has been training or waiting in the wings ready to take on these excess clients. Okay. So number two, talking about the culture, um, I... I've made the mistake before, multiple times before, actually it took me a few years to really learn this, but um, hiring for talent over hiring somebody that really fits the culture. Um, something I heard from a colleague way back in the day when I, when I was working for Mac Cosmetics um, that has stuck with me to this day is he said, I would rather hire um, somebody who fits the culture, like somebody who is going to be a good team player, who um, who knows how to sell than somebody who is the most talented makeup artist I've ever met. Like I would rather hire somebody that is right for the job over talent. And that has stuck with me. And I can tell you that in this industry, especially with lashes, that goes, um, I mean, it just holds so much weight because I've hired people who, you know, yes, they were good at lashes. They were good with connecting with the clients, but they were awful at taking constructive criticism. Um, I couldn't get them to do anything extra. You know, if we were trying to do things as a team, like they always kind of separated themselves out. And like, I don't expect you to, you know, be best friends with everybody. There's definitely like a, a good work-life balance that needs to be had. But when people are actually trying and trying to include you in and you're, you know, blatantly kind of keeping yourself out of it, it just overall kind of, it, it doesn't add anything positive to the overall work environment in my experience. So um, that being said, sometimes really talented artists can come along with bad habits. They can come along with bad attitudes, can't, teach um, an old dog new tricks, that kind of thing. I would rather bring somebody on that either I'm teaching from the very beginning or maybe they've had a class, maybe they've only been lashing for about a year, but they're, you know, they're looking to grow. They're looking for somebody to show them the way because maybe they've been working on their own and have been running into roadblocks because they don't have anybody else doing lashes around them to kind of help them troubleshoot things. So those are my favorite people to hire. I've hired people, you know, straight out of school that I've worked with them in an apprenticeship type of situation, not to be confused with a state 
uh, licensed apprenticeship, but we will occasionally bring on somebody if I feel like they could be a really good fit, um, but they have a lot of education to learn. I will bring them on as an apprentice. I will attach them to one of my best employees and I will have that employee pour in all of the knowledge into them over you know a year's period of time. And at the end of that year, we now have a, an amazing employee that has a full book. It's worked for me um, three different times now. And um, so I think that in, in that case in particular, I'm picking somebody because I know like this is somebody I can tell is going to work well with my team. They're going to listen. They're going to be hungry for growth. They're going to learn. Even if they're not the best at something, I can tell when somebody's going to put that effort in. And that's what you want to look for too. All right, number three would be promoting people too fast. I remember back when I opened up my second location, um, I felt like I needed to have a higher level artist. I felt like I needed to have master artists there starting from the very beginning. And I promoted the people to that position. One, I promoted to that position just because she had been with me the longest, but she wasn't necessarily the best employee for that position. And then the other one that I hired, um, she came from another state and she had beautiful work, like beautiful, beautiful work. And I immediately made her a master artist. I have learned this lesson because of the fact that unfortunately, when you don't give somebody room to grow, sometimes they get to that highest level from the bat and it becomes like this, you know, like they don't feel like they have to work for anything. So they they get lazy. Maybe they don't produce the same quality that they used to. They don't feel like they, you know, have anything to like they don't have to impress you for anything. So they kind of just stop trying. And I, I've seen this happen a couple of times, not only in my business, but I've also seen it in other salon owners that I've worked with too. Um, I had a client who, you know, came to me and they were like, you know, we, we started out, we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. We had somebody who was a friend of ours that we brought on and we promoted them to the same level as us very quickly. So, you know, a year had gone by six months to a year and this stylist had been making the same amount as the owners when it comes to, um, when it came to their clients and stuff like that. So where did that leave them? It left them with somebody who felt like, okay, I've already maxed out here. I don't have any more room to grow. I'm already making as much as the owner. So, you know, where to from here, you know, the next thing that they would have to do is open up a business on their own if they wanted to continue to grow. And I can promise you that a year into somebody's career, they need to be able to have that upward movement if they are a motivated person. And remember, we're in the game of trying to hire motivated people. We want the people who are gonna go the extra mile. So it's really important to make sure that you give them those different levels, whether you know whether you have those levels where clients are paying for you know a higher level, you don't necessarily have to do that, but you do need to have some type of internal structure where you know maybe if they're hitting all of these goals that you're setting forth, then you can you know up their their pay percentage because as they're hitting all of these goals, they're also going to be bringing in more money and you're going to be able to afford to pay them a higher percentage rate. But it really gives them something to work for. They should have out there, um, you should have listed the requirements to be able to hit that promotion so that they know exactly what path they have to walk on to get there. Um, but that is a big, big warning. Do not promote people too quickly. Remember, 
we as business owners too, we might feel like, okay, but I'm getting stagnant after a year. And yeah, these people might be, but that doesn't mean that they need to be the highest level that they can grow with your company. What's past a year? How do you really get people to stay you know, for three, four, five, I have some people who've been with me for seven years. It's because they still know that they have room to grow here. You know, I, I really like to kind of word it to my employees that the sky is the limit. As the business grows, if you're pouring into yourself and you're pouring into the business, I'm gonna bring you up with me. You wanna be an educator? Cool, let's make you an educator. Let's find ways that I can help them increase their pay, get them out from behind the chair too, because, you know, we all know that's, kind of taxing on our bodies. Um, even for the people who really truly love doing that, it's like, how can we kind of cut back a little bit with that, make sure that they're making the same amount and give them the opportunity to work on new projects or new passions that will carry them into that 10 year mark or maybe even beyond. Okay, number four was being afraid of employee confrontation. Um, I get asked this a lot, um, how do you, make sure that your employees are not walking all over you. Um, people come up to me and say, you know, I, I feel like no matter what I tell them, they're not following it. They're not, um, they're not listening to me or I'll ask them to do this and they're not doing it. Um, the very, at the very basics of how to get over this is a not being afraid of confrontation anymore. And how do you get there? Um, the biggest thing for me um, was A, I had to remove myself from being as close as I was to some of my employees. And that does make me sad to a certain extent, but I have to have a very fine, um, there's a very fine line between being somebody's friend and being somebody's boss. And as much as you want them to respect you, um, you need to kind of take away that friendship or just make sure that you're defining what that looks like. Okay, this is like, you know, this is friend Tiffany, this is boss Tiffany, but at the end of the day, you don't want to mix the two. And I've, I've, that's probably an extra, um, you know, big employee mistake I could add to this list, but really make sure that you are setting yourself up in the position as their boss and as their leader, because then they will respect you as such. Um, the other thing that you need to do, the way that really helped me is looking at it as corrective action for me or writing, writing employees up was not just making sure that I was ensuring that they were going to respect me and respect the business, but also it sent a message to the other employees too. If they were constantly seeing somebody walk all over me, well, they're gonna lose respect for me too. And at the end of the day, it's my job to provide a really nice, healthy, um, psychologically safe workplace for these employees to make sure that they're showing up and they're all able to do their jobs and they're all able to um, know that the work that they're doing is not in vain. And I think that when you let certain employees walk all over you, it really does send a message to the other people that you don't respect your business as much too. So a lot of the time, some of the corrective action I've had to take, I've literally had to tell myself, um, you know, I, I've had to talk myself up to it. And remember, like you're doing this for the other girls too, the other girls that deserve to be there, the other girls that are trying hard to do their job. So that really helped me. And, you know, just knowing that your business is your baby in a, in a, you know, certain sense, you have to make sure that you're protecting it. You have to make sure that everything you've done up to this point is not going to be, you know, taken advantage of. And then, um, I think that a really big important thing to note there is that just by having policies in general is going to help you to 
know when you need to do that corrective action or not, when you need to have those uncomfortable conversations. Um, I, I love to have everything laid out in the employee handbook. We have all of our employee policies. Um, and then there's no question as to whether or not if they do something that goes against one of those policies, it's like, okay, here's your consequence. Um, another way that I really like to explain it to clients is, you know, if any of you have kids that are listening here, like, you have the parents who are enablers, right? And they just let their kids run all over them and do everything. And that's really looked down upon, right? Because we know that in order to create healthy children, we need to be able to give them structure. We need to be able to give them rules. They need to have consequences. And this is the same as having employees. Um, and so I think that just keeping that in the back of your mind and knowing how important it is to have that structure, it will help you not to make those mistake, same mistakes in the future. All right, number five was paying too much too soon. Um, I have a, I wouldn't say a different way. There's a lot of salons that that pay this way, but I, the way that I pay my employees is I pay them based off of the profits that are made after the cost of service. So when I hire them, I bring them on and up until, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago, it would just be automatically off the bat, like, okay, we're going to pay for the products. And then we, we split profit 50, 50. Well, when I really got into business and learning numbers, I learned that there's actually something called a break even point when it comes to your employees and the time and effort you're putting into training them and the time that it takes them to actually build their books. So it, you know, they're coming in, you're putting them through training, and then it takes a little while for the most part for them to just jump in and start taking clients and making money, right? So if you don't know what your break-even point is, um, if you're not sure how to pay somebody in the very beginning, I can tell you the easiest thing for you to do is not give them that 50% off the bat. Don't ever, ever, you know, just straight up 50% off of the service cost because you are going to be in the hole there unless your person is, you know, truly bringing in like well over $10,000 a month in some businesses. Um, everybody's numbers are different. So it's really hard to put an exact number on that. But, you know, in the beginning, you are going to lose out money if you have somebody training and they're only bringing in, you know, $3,000 a month, unless your rent and your overhead is really, really low, you really can't afford as a business owner to be paying them a high percentage of commission. So the way that I changed my structure years ago was as I brought new people on, they start out at a lower commission percentage and they go up in steps. Like as they achieve those goals that we were talking about with that internal structure level, they go up. So I'm not gonna put a number on this for you because again, every single business is going to be different and it, it all depends on what your unique overhead is. But I would implore you to stay away from just paying 50-50 right off the bat. Um, I do really like being able to take a service cost out of the services and splitting profit that way, but make sure that you're still splitting profit in a way that is going to make sense. If they really are only bringing in $3,500 a month, and I see this a lot, you know, you are you are going to be losing money. So get with somebody that really, really knows numbers. If you need any recommendations as far as like your specific business numbers and how to um, 
how to figure that out. I have a really good friend. She's actually in the hair industry. Um, her Instagram handle is Beauty Business Guide. Her name is Michelle. Um, I have worked with her personally. I send clients to her. She will take everything that you have, your overhead and all of that, and she can tell you exactly what that's gonna look like for your business. Um, and I, I fully believe, like I could tell you, I could sit here and tell you um, the easiest thing to do, which would be to just you know start off lower, let them know, okay, we're gonna start you off at 40% and then kind of move up slowly from there, 40, 42, 44. But if you really, really wanna get exact and you wanna make sure that you're cushioning your profit to be around that 20% level, which is what we should all really strive for as a salon owner, um, if you want to do that, you know, numbers don't lie. So work with somebody that is really, really great with numbers. And she's somebody that I, um, I definitely approve of when it comes to that. All right. And lastly, not having vacation policies in place. I can honestly say that every single salon owner that I've ever worked with, whether in my seven figure foundation course, whether one-on-one, -on -one, um, even in like my mastermind and everything, not one salon owner ever had a vacation policy before working with me. And um, this is something I could say now I've probably had maybe about five years ago, five or six years ago. I've had it for a while. And it's because I realized that if I didn't have some kind of structure, that employees were gonna be taking off left and right. There was no rhyme or reason as to um, you know how many days they could take off. You could have one person that likes to work and they like to make money and they're barely taking off at all. And then you have other people who are who really don't care about working and they're taking off, you know, two months out of the year when you add up all of their their days that they're off, their sick days, all of that too. So I have, I noticed with that, it's like, okay, we're losing serious money here. You know, when you factor in what you're making hourly in revenue, and if you look through your last few months and count up all of the hours that your employees either blocked off for a doctor's appointment or, you know, they just blocked off because maybe they just randomly took off a day and you're like, okay, it's cool. You know, I, I want you to do that because I want you to see and times that by the number that you're typically on average bringing in per hour, because you're going to see how much you lost out on with that. And, um, one of the clients I was working with before they did count it and they realized that, um, you know, there was, I think 80 hours or something it, yeah, 80 hours in one month that all of their employees across two locations had either blocked off because they took off for the day or they just blocked off because of whatever. And when you really take that and you times that by, you know, your hourly goal, like that was like $8,000 that she missed out on that month. So the best way that you can explain this to your employees is, hey, you know, like, A, I have a business to run, but I can't just replace you when you leave, you know, for a day. If you're going to be calling out, like, I can't just call somebody up and say, hey, I need you to do lashes today. It doesn't work like that. So if you want to be able to have a space here, if you want to be able to have a room, like, I need to be able to plan around the business and I need to know when you're going to be in. Um, so a vacation policy for us looks like making sure that they're requesting off, having a set number of days that they can re request off per year that they, you know, don't necessarily have to switch time for. Um, and in our case, it's 
10 days. And if they're at our highest level, our master level artists, they get an extra five that they can just request off. No questions asked. Um, but I did realize that there is a fine line between people who, you know, want to work for themselves because of the flexibility that they do get and, um, and working for somebody else. So I came up with a, um, a really great solution to that problem. And what that looks like is we have something called flex scheduling. So if somebody is off typically on a Tuesday and they end up wanting off on a Friday instead, they can switch their days as long as there is a chair available. As long as we know in advance, the clients can book that Tuesday instead of the Friday. It's no big deal to me. You know that the employee is still there in a day. The clients can usually flip flop around and, you know, they can move their schedule around what that employee schedule is. So I think that by giving them that flexibility to be able to do that while still giving them some structure parameters of making sure that they that they ask, that they request it, that we make sure nobody else is or uh, able or that we make sure that nobody else is in that chair that day, right? Um, most of my girls have their own room anyway, but um, we do make sure that there are not gonna be any issues with that before we approve the switch. And it's really no sweat off my back. The employees are happy, I'm happy as a business. Um, so I just really encourage you to take a look at your current vacation policy. If you don't have one, um, definitely think about getting some structure in place because you are going to be astonished by um, the amount that you're actually losing out by not having one. Okay, I hope these helped you. Um, you know, managing people is not easy and I will be the first to tell you that, but I have learned a lot of lessons over the years and I do believe that my superpower now is leading teams and, um, and knowing how to be a good leader. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to find me on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of stories that you could probably share with me and I will absolutely be able to relate to them too. Um, but I hope you take these and, um, and you just learn from them and grow. All right, I'll see you next time on The Last Journey Podcast.